Hello, and welcome to the Media Copilot. It's a podcast and newsletter all about how generative AI is changing the media, journalism, and the news. I'm Pete Paschal, longtime tech journalist and founder of the Media Copilot. And on this podcast, I'm excited to bring you fascinating conversations with fellow journalists, media executives, and the people helping to build the AI-driven newsrooms of the future. I'm excited today to welcome to the Media Copilot podcast, Charlie Beckett. Charlie is a professor in the Department of Media and Communications at the London School of Economics, and he's the founding editor of Polis, the school's international journalism think tank. He's currently leading Polis's Journalism and AI Project, which is just days away from the Journalism AI Festival, which starts on December 6th. I'm, decide- I'm excited to talk to Charlie today about AI and journalism and what he's looking forward to at the festival. So, Charlie, welcome to the Media Copilot. Uh, thanks very much. Great to be here. Awesome. So tell me a little bit about your journey with AI and journalism. I think, you know, most of us, I mean, the connection started uh, probably exactly a year ago when ChatGPT debuted to a big splash. But when did you first start thinking about AI journalism and how this is going to sort of change the whole industry? Well, we started the project five years ago um, when generative generative AI was still science fiction. Uh, Hmm. And the reason we did it was because, I mean, I'm a, an ex-journalist. I worked in TV news mainly for 25 years, and there were big kind of tech changes then. You know, the internet came along uh, at one point, and then when I came to the LSE, you start getting social media, this second wave of kind of disruption. And I kind of thought AI felt like it could be uh, the third wave, if you like, of technological mm. disruption. And um, so we started the work. We set up this a journalism AI project is very, very global. We work with, you know, more than, you know, we work with thousands of journalists around the world from more than 100 countries. And we started off just asking them what they were doing. Uh, and it was really clear that uh, even with sort of old-fashioned AI, uh, that this was starting to have a very significant impact on all aspects of journalism. And, so, and when you when you say old-fashioned AI... Yeah, I mean, the kind of talking about, yeah. machine learning, natural language right. processing, the kind of... The stuff that you needed to know how to code or you needed to understand, you know, algorithms and so on to, to actually build anything. Um, and it was generally very good at performing relatively simple tasks, but at great scale and great speed. So a company like Bloomberg, for example, were already automating a huge uh, part of their output because mm-hmm. it was often very simple financial uh, factual stories uh, and it was fascinating you know the way that it, it it could do clever things like help with big investigations when you had a huge data leak but also very routine things like you know automating a b testing headlines for example and mm-hmm. on the revenue side you know people were using uh, ai to uh, try and do propensity modeling you know trying to find out what it would take to get somebody to subscribe uh, to them uh, and so that was already happening at some scale and it was increasing. Uh, but then obviously, as you said, when ChatGPT was launched last year, that was a total game changer. I'm sure we're going to talk about why. But the, the main reason was it was a brilliant bit of marketing. You know, mm-hmm. this idea yeah. you just put a prompt in was such a great design. And it meant that where AI before was a bit of those kind of techie thing, now anyone could play with it. And that's transformed our, our project and our work. Well, yeah, for sure. And like, 
I feel like that was definitely sort of a, a phase shift in how AI gets applied to journalism and anything with content creation. I mean, there's sort of pre-chat GPT and post. And like you said earlier, it was kind of about algorithms, finding the right audience and, and, and pairing it with the right content and sort of ensuring that that is quicker, smoother, um, and even to some extent, automating the content generation. And, and, and previously, it was sort of more like templated stories, machine-generated stuff. But now with these large language models, um, they're writing sort of, quote-unquote, original, uh, uh, you know, entire articles that, uh, you know, we've, we've sort of seen both the promise and the perils of that in the last several months, right? Yeah. Um, so... Getting back to that, like as as a, you know, I think most journalists and most organizations, particularly small to medium newsrooms, have only in the last year really started thinking about this stuff. And what do you think are the, I guess, first principles as a sort of newsroom wanting to leverage this? How do you approach this interesting, novel and potentially transformative technology? What, yeah. what are the first things that you should start thinking about and how to frame it even? Well, we, we, I'm going to base my answer basically on we, we, we did a lot of research this year. We spoke to more than 100 newsrooms around the world for a big survey. We published a report in September which looked at what newsrooms were doing with generative AI and old AI, um, but also what they thought about and what they were planning to do with it. And we were trying to answer your question as well, which is how are they approaching it? Because this is different. It's a different hmm. um, technology, So, and it works in novel ways. So perhaps you ought to think in a different, you know, to strategize in a different way. And the basic thing we, we, we think is the best practice is, first of all, as you suggested, be careful. Don't rush. We've seen all the, the horrible mistakes that people have made by rushing to use this and using it inappropriately, you know, unleashing it on writing quite complicated stories that turn out not to be true. Uh, and that's not very good for journalism, generally speaking. Um, so the best practice we've seen is people who have experimented with it and they've assigned responsibility to somebody uh, to be in charge, if you like, of uh, a generative AI to think about it. Um, and to start conversations uh, within your workplace because you can guarantee that somebody somewhere will be using Gen AI in some mm -hmm. form, perhaps just for transcription or translation. And you want to know about that, partly because you want to avoid them uh, you know, screwing up, but also perhaps they're doing something really clever. I spoke to a chap doing uh, coding in a newsroom, and he said it was making him 80% more effective, more efficient. Now, if, oh, I'm, wow. if I'm the editor, I want to know that because I want yeah. to make sure that everyone else is going to benefit in a safe way. Uh, the other thing that's been really useful I've seen is where newsrooms have drawn up guidelines. Um, and the guidelines may be saying, do this or don't do that. Uh, but generally, they might just be saying, look, for you know, think about this. Make sure that you don't, if you are going to use this stuff, that you tell your editor, for example, um, and be aware that these are the certain risks and these are the certain benefits and so on. But mainly, make sure that it stays uh, coherent with our mission, our editorial values, and also our uh, business uh, values as well. You know, um, so it's that kind of approach. Uh, and then start to think about 
perhaps something more substantial. And that is literally happening as we speak. You know, the, the better newsrooms are now starting to think of actual products. It could be a chatbot, for example, or mm. new services that you might produce, or internal processes that you might uh, try and expand and standardize that use uh, Gen I. So it's going to be a fascinating next 12 months because I think we're going to get down to sort of brass tacks. People are going to start saying, well, does this really work? Is this really reliable? Mm. Everyone's really excited or frightened, but can it work? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, you touched on a lot of things there. And I, I want to start to uh, talk a little bit more about the festival uh, and some of the programming and, and you're going to do in a minute. But since you since you talked about sort of some of the the perils of uh, going down the path of actual content generation, I wanted to ask you about something that happened recently, which was um, it was all over the news and it was all about certainly media news where um, Sports Illustrated, sort of a venerable brand, had uh, basically, well, <laughs> they say they weren't necessarily AI written articles, uh, but certainly the profiles of the people were. Anyway, it was sort of evergreen content. I'll link it in the show notes. Everyone, I think, sort of knows what I'm talking about. But I guess without going too down the path of the the state of the media business today, I'm more interested in the how when 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 you start to think about using AI to generate content um, and sort of having humans in the loop and you know basically like what what do you think are the main lessons from that incident and which is a, the latest in a series of incidents yeah. of various you know publications trying to sort of do this thing in terms of getting AI to actually write either parts of things or entire things um, are there you know without just the basic lesson of don't do that like what what are the more sort of nuanced uh takeaways from that well i think it's it's really interesting i mean firstly most of the mistakes that have been made you know over this last year with gen ai you know things like the fake michael schumacher interview do you remember that you know mm. a magazine yeah, that sure. had used ai to make up an interview now the problem with that that was a human decision the ai didn't make them do it you know the ai didn't make a mistake um it generated perfectly nice uh, copy it's just that the humans had lied. And that's not a good thing. Generally speaking, yeah. you shouldn't, as a journalist, lie to your audience. And I'm, more broadly, I mean, that's obvious, but more broadly, it does raise the question of, you know, how transparent do you have to be? Now, I would suggest if you pretend that it's been written by a human being and you even pretend, make up a, you know, a byline photo and things, that's not good practice. Um, you know, but if they'd said, hey, we've got some lovely, as you put it, evergreen content here, we've generated it using a program, could be Gen AI, for example, uh, and it's great stuff. You know, some, an editor has checked it to make sure it's uh, accurate. Well, people might happily ex uh, accept that, you know. There's no problem with the fact it's made by a machine as long as it's good journalism. Uh, so I think that's the sort of judgment that people have to make. You know, mm -hmm. how transparent are you right now? Do you tell people... Well, actually, you know, this was written by freelancer, not by staff, or 60% of this article is actually from agency copy, you know, or, you know, the photo was from photo stock. It wasn't, you know, a real photo. Do you always say that? Uh, well, if you do, continue to do it, uh, you know, be transparent, especially I think right now, because there's so many weird scare stories flying around and people are so worried about disinformation generally that I think it's probably worth going a little bit further than you would normally to explain what you're doing 
Um, you don't mm. have to take it to ridiculous lengths. I mean, if you if you use Google search, you don't tell the reader. Um, but that's a right. form of AI, isn't it? So, you know, obviously there's a, there's a kind of sen- common sense uh, procedure here as well. Yeah, and I think kind of also what you're sort of getting at is beyond just the disclosure on individual pieces of content, which, you know, pragmatically might not always be uh, uh, possible, like certainly not every tweet you're going to say this was generated by AI, but um, having some kind of public-facing policy that I feel like I don't necessarily think it would have prevented incidents like the Sports Illustrated um, issue, but I do think it it gives everyone something to point at as like, oh, like if you weren't sure this was, yeah. you know, in, in or over the line or in violation of something, like here it is, right? Yeah. Um, so it gives you something to fall back on. Yeah, it's good. For um, the, it's good for the journalists. It's also good for the readers. To know that, yeah. Even if they're not going to read the guidelines, it's, sure. it's nice for them to know that you you care about this. And it's also quite a, a good process. It's good to have that conversation in the newsroom. You know, somebody who's in charge of AI, if you like, saying, "What are you worried about? How can we mitigate the risks? Mm-hmm. What uh, what are the positive things that uh, we, we we expect from using AI?" So I think it's quite a good a kind of hygiene process, if you like, for any newsroom to do. So I'd love to chat a little bit about the festival and the the lineup you have in the topics. Like what I I was just looking over the program right before uh, we got together here, and I just it's really great that you have so many so much international representation here. There's folks from Brazil, uh, Germany, India. I mean, it just sort of is a good yeah. reminder of like you know I feel like a lot of the generative AI question plus media tends to be very US centric. I don't know, that might be the bubble I just live in, but it is kind of like the technologies are developed here, certainly over the last few weeks with all the open AI drama, which isn't directly related, but is obviously, you know, on everyone's minds, given uh, how much influence they have in in the whole space. Um, But like just having uh, an international perspective on this is, is really, really key. Also because one of the big promises of the tools I mean, certainly with the audio and video, I, I've seen nonstop, uh, bre- you know, breaking news about translation and just making content more available to different audiences, which I think is great. But at the same time, I, I, having sort of run a content strategy at, at a couple of different places, that makes my head hurt on terms of distribution and, you know, connecting, you know, it's all well and good to have content that is good catering to a certain audience but if you are not set up to distribute and cultivate that audience uh i'm not sure sort of how much help it it does so but at least uh anyway tell me tell me a little bit about sort of the international perspective on this as you say say, it's really global and um, this is one of the joys of of this um project over the last five years it's become more and more and more uh, global and uh, if you think about Gen AI, as you said, it's very much uh, an American-based technology. I mean, there's a big London presence as well, of course. Um, but it's very much English language orientated as well. Uh, and that makes it really interesting when you're working internationally, because, of course, the technology is applicable universally. Um, the journalistic challenges are very common throughout the world as well. Um, and as you mentioned, it, it offers both hope that you can cross the language barrier, uh, but also it does have this bias to, towards English. So we've been working really hard. I mean, for example, with our products, you know, the, the recent report is in Spanish and it's in English. And we're going to p- 
publish it in Arabic as as well. Um, but the teams themselves, so that's what's fascinating, is when you've got, for example, we've got a team from Deutsche Welle in Germany working with a team uh, from Jordan. We've got uh, a team from which is comprised of Malaysian, Germans, and Indians as well. Uh, and so they're kind of having to cross the language barrier. And obviously, it's all remote. And that's been really helpful. The one thing that people have taken away from this experience has been collaboration that you can get inspiration and insight by working with people who aren't like you, who, who perhaps are from a different country or a different kind of uh, news organization. So we've got people from very big groups like you know India Today, uh, also people from much smaller niche fact-checking organizations, for example. And that kind of, there's a kind of chemistry that happens when these people uh, are approaching common problems uh, together. And some of these challenges they're doing are rather complicated. Uh, so one of them, one team, um, where are they from? They're uh, from Reuters, uh, for example, and they're looking at decoding complex timelines with temporal knowledge graphs. Now, that's way out of my league, mm-hmm. technologically. Um, but others are more uh, kind of focused uh, on things that any journalist would understand. So, for example, looking at elections. Um, how mm-hmm. can you use Gen AI uh, to fact-check uh, statements being made uh, during an election, for example. So that's a really uh, practical one. And then there's another one which is uh, really fascinating where they're going to try and use AI to uh, detect bias in content. Uh, they're looking at both yeah. English and Arabic content. It's a kind of, you know, it's not about fake news. It's trying to see where people are coming from uh, politically, especially. So you get a sense of, for example, if there's fair representation, which... I don't know, for a, during an election would be really important, but, you know, more in, it, it's, it's interesting full stop. So these guys are all going to be presenting. We'll have other uh, panels as well. So they're going to be presenting their work, you know, doing little presentations. So I'm, I'm really eager to find out. I've been working with them through the year, but they mean mainly they're very autonomous and they've been working with experts from all sorts of different news organisations and from tech companies and from other universities who have been... Uh, helping them so it's a, it's a bit like an early christmas present for me you know i get to unwrap <laughs> mm-hmm. the things they've been doing all year yeah the bias topic i'm the one i'm fascinated in certainly as someone who's sort of observed media over the last 20 years and has watched it just sort of uh contort a little bit in the wake of both uh blogging and social media and now it's no you know uh it's no secret that the media it seems just seems like it's gotten really polaroid polarized and you have these uh, publications either officially or unofficially have some kind of sort of political bias and some lean into that and some sort of don't do or, or purport to be more objective, but maybe aren't really. I wonder if there is enough uh, sort of, I don't know, soul searching in the media today to sort of think like, well, why don't we use like something that is ostensibly, I wouldn't say objective, but like uh, if you could sort of, figure out where your bias is and if if it is your mission to kind of be more balanced, maybe that, that could sort of wake up an organization to like, Oh, we need to sort of, you know, create, create things with a slightly different perspective, maybe going forward. That's exactly, Um, that's exactly the point of it. I mean, I'm from a BBC tradition, you know, but even the the BBC has a certain bias, you know, it has a Mm -hmm. bias towards objectivity. So bias itself isn't the problem. 
um, I think bias can be a good thing. You know, say, for example, you're, I don't know, biased in favor of a clean environment. That's not a bad bias to have necessarily. Right. Um, the, but the important thing is knowing the bias, you know, yeah. and understanding it. I think that's interesting. And even, yeah, at the, the BBC, they, they did an inquiry a few years ago where they realized that they had been very un- unbalanced around certain issues, like, for example, Europe. You know, they were unaware of their own biases. So it's, it's going to be a really interesting program. And it's obviously incredibly difficult to do. I mean, how do you measure it? You know? Yeah, I know. Really well, that, that sort of brings up like the tools themselves and the biases those tools might have, right? So I think it's, it's going to be a, a difficult thing to get 100% right. But if it's directional, if it's guidelines, I like that. Because again, we could go on all day on this topic, but um, just as a final note, it's like, I, I see a lot of people think the bias is top down that it's like, Oh, we want to be biased. And this is our organizational point of view. And I find it's usually the opposite. It's usually you hire reporters who, you know, just have their, everyone has their points of view and their it informs their reporting. And over time that sort of will influence your organization. And, that, you know, as a thing that as as someone who is a decision maker at that organization, you want to you want to get ahead of. So I, I feel like it's a it's a helpful tool for that. Um, OK, so so moving on, I know you've done a lot of work uh, in your past about sort of misinformation and certainly AI and the tools it brings uh, doesn't just empower journalists, empowers, you know, what you might call bad actors out there and um whether they're just goofing around with deep fakes or they're actually trying to create some kind of disinformation campaign. Um, how should journalists and, and newsrooms uh, think about that? And um, like, I kind of feel like it, given the, you know, the ubiquity of these tools now, how could this be anything but a losing battle going forward versus uh, folks just determined to get bad information out there? Yeah. Well, I, I, I think, you know, it's clear we know already that the the people that the bad actors are already using ai and generative ai today and that's because they don't care about inaccuracies or other risks and so on because they're creating bad content uh, and so they're already out there and they're doing it and they're not going to stop and it is going to be a problem i'm not going to play that down at all and there are going to be some journalists there's some fantastic you know fact checking osint type journalism outfits who are going to be using Gen AI and other tools to track this down, to understand it, and most importantly, to see where the source is. Because the source is not the AI. The source is a human being who decides that they're going to publish you know, malicious or misleading content. You know, It's real people, it's politicians, it's activists, and it's people who are doing it for profit, of course. You know, they're trying to attract the advertising. So there are going to be some journalists who have special skills. But I don't think, I think, first of all, we can exaggerate the impact of some of this disinfo. You know, I think the worst thing about it is probably that it means that people can't trust anything. You know, they don't, mm-hmm. they find it diff- they're right. confused and difficult to believe. But I think the best response is to build journalism better. It's to mm-hmm. use Gen AI, you know, in an ethical, responsible way. And provide, if you like, a kind of safe haven, Mm. you know, that if your journalism is trustworthy and accurate and reliable and you're doing your best uh, and, you know, to be credible and to verify and so on, and you can use these tools to help you uh, to do that, uh, then you're doing all you can do, which is 
provide that alternative, to provide that safe space, um, you're, we're never going to be able to. People who talk about solving so-called fake news are dreaming. Mm. You know, it, it's always been out there in some form. Uh, it's just much more visible and it perhaps moves much faster than it used to because of modern technology. Uh, but as I say, I think that the, the, the real job of the journalist is not to go around debunking everything, not to go around policing uh, social media. That's other people's job, frankly. You know, our main job is to make sure that our journalism is as good as it could be and as accessible uh, for people as well. Nice. Yeah. Um, sort of related, I mean, very related. Um, I want to zero in on the topic of generative imagery. Mm. And we've seen a certain amount of, I guess, I guess misinformation with regard to, you know, the recent conflict in uh, Gaza versus uh, Israel and Hamas. And there were like, there was a lot of, certainly in the early days, a lot of back and forth over images and whether they're accurate or not. And then there was sort of that secondary issue of, well, there were generative images that were supposed to be illustrative of conflict, but we didn't really happen. And then those sort of leaked out on a few places. So uh, I'm kind of trying to sort of back into a question of like, what are the ethics of generative imagery? But I, I know it's a very, uh, you know, multi, <laughs> I almost said multimodal, but like multifaceted uh, response to that question because there, you know, there's yeah. uh, different use cases. Like, you know, there's obviously photojournalism, which obviously you wouldn't do it, right? But then you all certainly have uh, what I might—I wouldn't even quite call it lifestyle journalism, but there's a lot of sort of applications of generative imagery with regard to things that aren't necessarily breaking news, spot news, or about real directly about a real world event, right? That where it seems appropriate. So. Um, I, I guess like, as again, as an organization that's trying to figure out the ethics of these things, putting yourselves in the minds of these, these leaders, like how do you sort of guide your staff and, yeah. and guide the industry in a way, if you're, if you're like the BBC or the times or, or whatever, like how, how do you both empower your staff, but also, uh, guard against, uh, sort of the, not just bad information getting out there, but also kind of like a cheapening of the whole industry, yeah. which I can sort of explain a little bit. I think you know what I mean, right? Yeah, like yeah. The, the more you use generative imagery, the less you're actually relying on real yeah. illustrators and photojournalists. So it's a, it's a whole very thorny issue, I feel like. Yeah, I mean, we just published about a month ago, we published a, a, a short report on this, actually, you know, photojournalism in the age of AI. And the author of that made the good point, which is, in a way, these dilemmas are not new. You know, that photography has always been about, to a degree, about manipulation. You know, you frame a picture in a certain way, you might adjust the lighting. When you get back into the dark room, you might, you know, uh, use different filters, whatever. Yeah. You know, you might crop it and so on. So there's always been that element of it. And well, it used to be hard, though. Yeah, and, that, and it, well, it's been <laughs> quite easy recently, because obviously with digital photography, which has been around for 10, 15 years or so, that immediately means that you can use Adobe Photoshop or whatever. So now, of course, with Gen AI, it is much easier. And it's got frighteningly better, hasn't it, in the last 12 months? Mm -hmm. You know, it's gone from kids' draw, kids' painting type quality to, you know, masterworks uh, right. in, in a few months. But I think basically, um, if you apply the standards that you used before, then you should be okay. Now, it's really important, obviously, for news photography to be real, 
What's the yeah. point otherwise? There's really no point making up an image of Gaza or Ukraine or something. You know, that is a betrayal of trust. And you would never do that before. So why do it now? And if you use a generated image, for example, as you said, as like a, like a stock photo, well, if it was a stock photo, you'd say, you know, uh, perhaps Getty right. or, or Shutterstock or something, you'd say. Uh, and so I think it's that kind of labeling just continues. And there's no harm. I mean, I'm... Uh, I've spoken to people um, in newspapers and uh, TV as well, actually, who are starting to use it for graphics, for example. Uh, say, for example, you need an image that represents a story. It could be climate change and you want a picture of the sun and a dry field or something. Well, you could use a stock photo or you might make up an obviously stylized image using uh, Gen AI. And there's nothing wrong with that because it's quite clear that you're not pretending uh, that it's a real photo that's when the problem starts if you pretend uh, yeah. that it's a real image or, fo- or photo so i think in funny enough for, for journalism it's it's i think the, the the sort of boundary lines have always been there and i yeah. think it's just a question of applying it with the fake news bit um obviously what's interesting was you mentioned the gaza conflict and most of the imagery that's been misleading in that has been real images but in the wrong context Right. It's people saying, yeah. oh, look, this is the Israelis massacring children. It turns out it's Russian soldiers in Syria or something from 20 years right. ago. Uh, or even, <laughs> my favorite is screenshots of uh, video games being used because they're so realistic. Right. Looking, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is what's happening in Gaza now. You know, So it's actually humans, again, it's humans deliberately misrepresenting what is actually real imagery, but in the wrong context. And there's been less of the generative stuff. And I think there's something interesting going on there, which is Mm. you can sort of fool people with fake imagery, but kind of why would you bother, you know? Um, You you kind of don't need it in a sense, given what you're saying. You know, if you're determined to lie, there's anything anything you could use. And there are certainly an audience that will believe you. Yeah. Um, But I also feel like if there's a hopeful sort of place I'm going to here, it's that uh, this has increased the skepticism of people of stuff that's just flying around on Twitter. Um, But I think, again, I think something you said earlier was very, very, uh, was a good point here in that, uh, it, you can get easily go to the extreme on that point and just not believe anything. Um, but to your point on earlier about also about like, if your journalism is solid, if you have the right processes and you have that uh, trust that you've built, uh, it just becomes more valuable than ever in this environment. Yeah, exactly. I think so. And I think we saw that during the pandemic where there was a big uptick in attention for, you know, those uh, big orthodox well-established news organizations right. because people it was a life and death thing people really did want to know i know there's a lot of conspiracy nonsense out there as well um a lot of anti-vax nonsense and so on but that was mainly on social media and we can still cling to the evidence which suggests that people do say that they believe journalism more than they believe social media mm-hmm at least, yeah, depending on how you define each. But yes, and yeah, I think social yeah. media is kind of, I mean, I don't know. It's its sort of definitely entering a different phase with uh, what yeah. hap- what's happened to Twitter and stuff. But that's a whole different thing. That's putting Let's it see. very euphemistically uh, as well. <laughs> <laughs> so right before we wrap up, I want to zoom in and then I want to zoom out. So zooming in, which is to say like at the individual sort of journalist level, 
Um, what do you think are the best ways uh, reporters and you know the people that help them gather the news and, and create the news can start to use Gen AI in the most, uh, I guess, the ways that they can increase the most efficiency, but also like you know with that that trust in mind. Yeah. So what do you? Well, if I can steal your program title, I think it's see it as a co-pilot. You know, mm-hmm. it's there like a very helpful intern. You know, I think that's the, it's it's an office tool if you like. So if I'm a really busy journalist, and it, if it can help me organise, I don't know, my press releases, the email newsletters I get, uh, if it can help me um, to reformat content. Say, for example, I write something, and then I the editor says we want a really short version of it. Well, you can use generative AI to do that kind of task. You can ask it to suggest a range of headlines, for example. You know, a kind of brainstorming uh, tool. Uh, so there's lots of ways that it can supplement your work, you know, just as an individual journalist. And I would say, you know, jump right in, not obviously to publish, because as we keep saying, it's not a truth machine, it's a language machine, you know, so don't ask it for facts, don't ask it for the truth, it does not know, um, but it can be very helpful in in arranging uh, information and so on. And I would say, jump in and start prompting, you just get on there and start playing with it and don't just do it for five minutes and get disappointed um because there will be disappointments you'll find inaccuracies but you'll also find it does some things really cleverly give you a little example i was on holiday i was going on holiday to taiwan for six days uh my lovely partner she spent a week researching the trip uh, and came up with an itinerary i asked chat gpt and then within two seconds it came up with a very similar itinerary a really good plan for that holiday. So that's a pretty harmless uh, and risk-free use case. But so go in and play with it uh, repeatedly in different ways, but also just make sure you're informed. Just do some basic AI literacy. You know, there's loads of content on my website, for example. It's all free and very accessible. We've got something called an AI starter pack, for example, where you can just click through yourself interactively and you can do 10 minutes doing it or you can spend five hours uh, doing research on it just to get a sense of the different use cases and what other people uh, have been doing. And indeed, yeah, some of the limitations and risks. Um, because I do think it's just going to, it's inevitable, it's going to be part of our lives. Just like, mm-hmm. you know, we all got used to using smartphones. We all got used to this idea of Google search. Um you know, we, 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 it's almost second nature now. Uh, an old journalist like me is still, you know, still thinks it's a bit miraculous that you can do all this stuff. But I think we're going to be thinking the same about Gen AI, you know, that it's being built into so many things, isn't it? Like Microsoft and so on. Yeah. It's being built into so many other systems. I think it's only just around the corner when your newsroom CMS will, of course, have Gen AI uh, facilities built into it. Yeah, well, that's that's definitely uh, where we're going, and it segues really nicely into the zoom out question I wanted to ask you, which is to say, well, once AI is sort of built into the world and it's sort of the air we breathe, and we're <laughs> starting to see that now with like generative search, right? Yeah. And, you know, Google and Bing and you know whatever Microsoft's calling it today are starting to just more and more just give you the answer. And I know they've been sort of doing these zero click searches for a while, but now the 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 generative AI 
it might actually be good. <laughs> it might actually yeah. give you the right answer, which of course begs the question of like, well, what about that traffic that publishers depend on? Where is it getting that information? How about training? And so in, in a few years, we're going to have this AI mediated world where media and journalism certainly has a role, uh, but the sort of things that things are going to look different. So how are they going to look? <laughs> That's yeah. kind of my question. Like, what what do you, what is the, yeah, what does having media a, and journalism look like in like three to yeah, five years? Yeah, I was having a really interesting conversation about this this morning with a, a somebody who does Gen AI tools. And we were saying it was very useful to look backwards sometimes and see, you know, what did we really expect there to be this boom of podcasts? You know, mm. did we expect that? That's a very weird development. And it was partly enabled by new technology. It was enabled by the AirPods you have. Suddenly right. people could listen to podcasts wherever they were without any wires hanging around. So I think there's going to be some unexpected consequences of this by its very nature. Um, but I do think that there's the, the biggest risk is that Gen AI is going to be really good. That sounds odd. Mm -hmm. But if Gen AI, as you said, starts to become much more accurate, much more accessible, and you're quite right. Why would I go to a news website or app if I can go to ChatGPT and get things explained to me at least? It will never be quite as good at breaking news and stuff like that, but you know, why would I go to, to a journalist? And we've been asking that question for the last 20 years. If I can go to the internet, why do I need a journalist? If I can go online to Instagram or something and find stuff out there, why do I need a journalist? But now this one is a much bigger one because, as you said, it doesn't even give a link necessarily. It doesn't have to give a link. You know, it can just give the person the answer. So I think we're going to see newsrooms doing, in a way, what they have been doing over the last 10, 15 years, which is stressing, in a way, the human element, thinking very much about what the audience needs are. How do they want uh, the journalism? What kind of topics do they want us to cover? How do they want us to, to cover those, those stories? Uh, and being much more aware of adding value. So it's not just about collecting data. It's about brilliant uh, data journalism design, for example. It's about um, something very physical, getting out of the office and going reporting, uh, going to you know, law courts, going to um, you know, council meetings, going to meet real people in their real lives. That The AI can't do any of those things. The AI has no judgment, no empathy, no real intelligence. So, for example, you being an expert specialist is going to be really important in the future. So I think there's this sort of paradox, which I'm optimistic that, um, you know, journalists will make the best use of Gen AI tools. And I hope that might give them more resource to spend on the, the human side of it. And that's going to be so important. Brands paying real attention uh, to their subscribers or members or whatever they are is going to be super mm. important. We really have to get uh, into our heads as journalists that um, you know the news industry is not there for us. It's, it's a service industry. It's not about mm -hmm. you know, creating product. <laughs> Although, of course, you have to do that. It's a service. Right. It's informing people, entertaining people, uh, educating people, uh, keeping people on trend, giving them useful material or just material that makes them go, wow, that's exciting and interesting. Uh, so I think that, that all our focus is going to be on that. Uh, so it's a dual, isn't it? Get across the Gen AI tools because they're going to help you. And if you don't, your audience will disappear. Good advice. 
Um, Charlie, this has been great. Uh, how can people uh, find out more about the festival? And is there an online component? How how should people? Yeah, it's all going to be online because we're so global. You could never pull all those people together yeah. in one place. So it's all going to be online. It, you have to register, but it's all free and accessible. And we will be putting it online if you can't make it live. Just search Journalism AI LSE and you'll come across our our wonderful website with huge resources, including, you know, things like a lovely newsletter that you should all sign up for. uh, And of course, details of how to register for the festival next week. Outstanding. All right. Journalism AI begins December 6th. Charlie, this has been great. Thanks so much for the conversation. Uh, You have been listening to the Media Copilot. Please subscribe at mediacopilot.substack.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at the Media Copilot. And we'll be seeing you in the future.